The temple of the prophet Bethamin in Tambar was built upon the ruins of a much older structure, one that first belonged to the ancient and ultimately corrupt Quorum of the Sixth Truth. For two long millennia, the massive complex stood crumbling atop its lonely mountain, a stark reminder of the adept race's darkest days. During all the intervening years, none had seen fit to approach it, much less build something new from its ashes. But time thins the cloth of memory. As the ages pass, its rich colors fade. Strong wool is beaten by the elements until the pattern of its lesson disintegrates, leaving holes in the truths it was meant to carry on. Even the stains of blood blend and bleed, leaving but faded blotches without meaning, mere shadows of lessons that came before, their warnings lost within the obscure impression that remains. As the strong Seldarian sun dove westward, the Agassi truth-reader, Kiran Van Stone, stood upon the newly rebuilt walls of the prophet's temple, staring north. The wind blew his shoulder-length black hair into his eyes, so he held up a hand to hold it back, that it might not distract him from the view. In the distance, the upper crescent of the Dahari mountain range merged with the Iverness range of southeastern Danim to form jutting snow-capped peaks as impassable as they were forbidding. Only the pass of Dahroim permitted travel between Danim and Saldaria, and it was guarded day and night by hardened men sworn to the Duke of Morwick. Kieran missed Danim. He missed its green hills and misty gray mornings, its forbidding forests and charcoal seas. He missed the heavy snows of winter and the north wind that scoured the land. And he missed the people, especially his king. In his years of service to Gudrun Valorian, the monarch had become like a father to him, and his sons, like the brothers Kieran, never had. In many ways, he missed Danim more than his homeland of Agassan. Though to be fair, he would have just as willingly served ten years before the mast on an Avataran slaver than spend even one more night in Tembar. At the behest of his king and the fourth vestal reign Delacourt, Kieran had been truth-bound to secrecy and sent to serve the prophet as a spy for the north. He was afraid to do it. He'd nearly wept the night rain truth-bound him. But they had no one better suited to go in his stead, and their need was dire. The fourth Vestal believed, they all believed, that the plot to end the Valorian reign encompassed more than a single throne, and had not the king and queen already sacrificed enough with the loss of their two sons? Kieran could hardly refuse them, though he suspected that Tambar would be his doom. Little did he realize then that there were so many shades of gray within the spectrum of imminent death, that when a man might pluck any variety of poisoned fruit from the tree of dying and suffer the ending through myriad torments, drawing it out for months, even years, that death itself might become a mercy. But he understood that much better now. Kieran had served the prophet for six moons, and every day of it had been a waking horror. Every day he reminded himself of his vital purpose, of their desperate need, not just Danim's, but all of Alarin. For without this hope to ground him, to shore up his fortitude and replenish his courage, he knew he would long ago have fled. Instead, each night he warded his dreams before laying down his head loath to close his eyes for fear of the visions that lurked beyond his sight.
But despite his best efforts, when dawn broke each morning, he still woke with a stifled scream. They all did. The occupants of Tembar, that is, those who slept at all. At the sound of a voice raised in anger, Kieran turned from his wistful study of the mountains. The conversation floated to him on the stagnant air that came seeping out of the temple hall, where large copper braziers glowed day and night. The ascendants burned incense on those coals, and the oily smoke stained the walls and filled the air with a foul, fetid haze. When he heard the prophet's voice, however, Kirin hurried inside, for Bethamon misliked when his acolytes were not hovering close. Those patterns are bound with the fifth strand, the prophet was saying in a tone of cold censure as Kirin crept soundlessly through the vestry. My hold upon a Marquin should have been impossible to break, unless you've been misleading me, Dor. My lord, I wouldn't dream of misleading you, came the sycophantic voice of Dor Madden, an adept wielder and advisor to the prophet. Kieran stifled a shudder as he drew up just short of the temple nave. Dor Madden made his skin crawl, and he would rather the man didn't know he was there. He inched his head around the archway to see Dor and the prophet standing about ten paces away. Dor Madden's cadaverous frame stood in profile to Kieran, facing the prophet as he continued. The fifth strand acts as the sand in concrete, my lord. Any time one layers patterns of differing strands, they must be bound with the fifth if they are to endure. And like sand in the concrete mix, once bound, they cannot be separated. Then you tell me how it was done, the prophet hissed. Kieran had never seen him so infuriated. Usually, Bethamon was all cold dispassion, no matter the horrific deeds happening in his name, or in his midst. Bethamon turned away from Dor and stood with hands clasped behind his back, his stance conveying his ultimate displeasure. The prophet was tall and broad of shoulder. He wore his long black hair in hundreds of braids, each strand bound four times with tiny gold bands, the mass contained by more elaborate braids encircling the whole. He went bare-chested to better display his immaculate form, only wearing white desert pants, or a shendit for ceremonies, but the wide gold torque around his neck always shone brightly against his caramel skin. He was imposing. He was coldly arrogant, and he was terrifying.